So we stick uh, with meningitis in Africa, and uh, Olivier Ronvaux, who is in the same group at WHO as Marie Pierre, was going to give us an update about what's been happening in the epidemiology in Africa for the last year or two, and also about some WHO new guidelines, because the, the pattern of the disease obviously has changed since um, MEN-A has largely disappeared. So, Thank you, Brian. Uh, good morning. Yes, indeed, the two topics following Marie-Pierre's uh, presentation. An overview of the epidemiology and latest outbreak news in the meningitis belt, and why and what kind of uh, new guidelines do we have for outbreak response in Africa? Uh, for those who has been in, have been involved in uh, the development of guidelines at WHO, you may know it's a really cumbersome and long process. And so I want, would like to thank here James Stewart who led this, uh, this process for, for WHO. Um, yeah, James, we probably paid and paid, not paid you enough for that, so uh, next time we will do better. We'll be able to, to afford a jacket for the next uh, MRF <laughs> conference. So the global picture in the belt, um, well, I love Quebec, but we are in different numbers now. 20,000 cases per year on average, with, uh, as Marie-Pierre mentioned, uh, big peaks uh, in the early years due to serogroup A, and this is the, the, the picture in the last 30 years. So big uh, A serogroup, huge epidemics. Um, every seven to 10 years. The rollout started in 2010, and since we see, we tend to see a decrease in the number of reported cases. Of course, it's too early to say that we won't see any big or the peak in the region, um, but at least we don't see the uh, serogroup A epidemics anymore. And this is what we see here. Uh, the blue bars are before the many introductions, and the red bars after in 10 representing countries of the, of the belt who uh, provided uh, data throughout the last uh, 10 years. And so we observe really the decrease in many, a tenfold decrease in all these countries before and after the introduction. But we see that the other serogroups, W and X, um, are still there. And pneumonia is becoming mainly in, in uh, non-epidemic periods as the number one uh, pathogen meningitis in Africa. The, the increase that you can see here for W and pneumonia before and after is, is an artifact due to the confirmation capacity that has increased before the, between the two periods, mainly in Burkina Faso. So ASD is decreasing and uh, the others are still there. And W had become the number one threat. This is what we had observed in the last years. And these are the districts in the, in the belt that reported epidemics uh, due to W. And uh, we had reported the epidemics in the Gambia, Mali, Burkina, Niger, Chad, Nigeria, etc. So uh, W is there uh, and had become the number one meningococcal. But it's not the only one. And uh, in terms of attack rates, um, 
W still uh, gives a very high attack rates, as observed in Niger, Burkina, and the Gambia, with over 100 per 100,000 in selected districts uh, for the season, cumulative attack rates. X is also there and was observed in the number of countries, Niger, Kenya, Togo, Burkina, with generally lower rates, but sometimes, like in Burkina in 2010 in one district, uh, significant attack rates. So this is what prompted the guideline revisions. Uh, the epidemiology has changed. A has disappeared or is disappearing. Um, but we still see the other serogroups, W, X, and pneumonia is there, strep pneumonia is there. We see epidemics of lower magnitude, but uh, still significant in terms of uh, attack rates. But the, and the incidence overall is, is falling. And so during this guideline process, four issues were selected for review, and this was done to uh, systematic review and uh, systematic uh, um, review of the publications. So the thresholds that might be too high because maybe uh, possibly the, um, the, 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 the strength of the epidemics due to other cell groups might be lower than the A epidemics. I will come back to the threshold. We need some, more, uh, some better diagnostic to identify the causal pathogen. Single dose treatment is the, was the recommended treatment during epidemics uh, of meningitis. So because of the other pathogens appearing, this, might, this needed to be reviewed. And then prophylaxis, which is not recommended, which was not recommended in Africa during epidemics, uh, was also a topic to be reviewed. So the, the issue of threshold, and this relates to how uh, surveillance is conducted in, in, uh, throughout the, the meningitis belt. So this is what we call enhanced surveillance, where um, all the districts report number of suspected cases of meningitis. And this gives an attack rate per, per district. And the idea is that if the um, attack rate reaches a threshold that we call the alert, then the alert is launched. And the, the, the meaning of that is that the district should be better prepared. F uh, the investigation should continue in this district. The surveillance should be strengthened. We should know what's happening in terms of microbiology, which, which is the serogroup implicated. And the uh, district should prepare to, uh, for vaccination and draft uh, microplans. So this, the previous alert threshold was five per 100,000 per week. And this, this reporting occurs at week, at, uh, every week, so it's a weekly surveillance. And then we have the epidemic threshold, um, which triggers the action. Okay, we, ideally, we have been prepared uh, with the alert threshold, and then the epidemic threshold is, is reached, and action is uh, triggered with mainly vaccination, case management strengthening, and continuing of uh, lab surveillance in the district and neighboring districts. So the idea here is that is, um, in the revision of these thresholds was to, to 
um, to make the exercise of whether these thresholds would apply also for non-A epidemics, and mainly W. This is where we had the most data about. So lowering or um, having the threshold uh, upper would, um, we would have a number of cases prevented uh, lower or higher, right? If we, if we, this epidemic threshold, if we, if we lower it, because we think that the curve of the W epidemics is lower, so we lower the threshold, then we, the trigger would be earlier, lower, at, lower, at lower stage, and we would potentially prevent more cases. But of course, there is this issue of sensitivity and specificity of the threshold, and maybe we would trigger action when it's not needed. So this is a work that was done uh, by Caroline Trotter, and uh, so she played with all the thresholds and uh, with W outbreaks in the last 10 years, reported in the last 10 years, but her main finding was that there was more benefit from shortening the response time than lowering the threshold. And in, in numbers that gives, with a four week interval between crossing the threshold to the vaccination response, 17 cases per event would be prevented at a threshold of 10, per, 10 cases per 100,000 per week. If we lower the threshold to three per 100,000, 46 cases per event would be prevented, and event is an epidemic at district level. But if we decrease the, the interval between the uh, crossing the threshold and the response, then we will prevent 54 cases per event. So this was obviously more efficient. So the main change from previous guidelines was, one, implement the vaccination campaigns as soon as possible, and within four weeks of crossing the threshold, because this timing was not specified before. You can, you can think that four weeks, it seems very long, right? Between, oh, I know there is a problem, and then the vaccination starts. But we are in Africa where we have a number of bottlenecks uh, that are difficult to, which makes difficult to decrease this, uh, this interval. From the detection, the confirmation, sending the vaccine in the country, organizing the vaccination campaign, etc. So the range that we observe now to get the vaccination response when we know there is a problem, it's between two and eight weeks. And second, we didn't think that it was um, useful to uh, lower the threshold for the epidemic, so it re remained at 10. It was previously at 10, but um, in uh, some non-at-risk districts at 15, so 10. And the alert th threshold was a decrease from five to three cases per 100,000 person per week. So this was done to uh, be able to um, increase the preparedness of the, of, the, of the district and to allow for more a rapid response. But this, of course, should go with all the, all the actions that lead to, to, to the vaccinations, starting with uh, the <laughs> detection and confirmation of the pathogen. So, second recommendations on the uh, diagnostics, and there we uh, looked at the rapid diagnostic tests, 
So we have a few options currently available. Uh, Pastorex, latest aggregation, and dipsticks from the Cermes in Niger. Um, the group recommended the use of these RDTs for the detection of outbreaks, and this goes into the, 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 the sense of more rapid detection at the bedside to, uh, to improve the, the confirmation and to get a more rapid response. So that goes in the same direction. However, current RDTs have their limitations. Um, one of them is um, uh, sensitivity specificity. So they need to be verified by PCR or culture before a vaccination response is um, warranted. Another, um, another difficulty challenge with these RDTs is their uh, thermostability. They are, uh, the Pastorex is, needs to be maintained in cold chain, which makes it, its use uh, rather challenging. So the group recommended the need, stressed the need to promote development of more affordable districts, to promote development of X, uh, districts covering the X serogroup, and to do more field evaluation of all tests. Uh, the good news is that there is a, a new generation of rapid tests coming, and this picture is um, from a prototype developed uh, with the Institut Pasteur Paris, uh, enabling the diagnostic, diagnosis at patients' bedside of A, C, Y, W, and X, and it's a, uh, it looks very promising. This cassette looks uh, very promising. Third recommendations on antibiotic treatment, and there the main issue was, should we continue with the single dose treatment? And uh, the group reviewed the evidence on the proportion of strep pneumonia and Hib. Uh, we would need uh, definitely more longer treatment and only one day during epidemics or, or outside actually. And um, so this was the, ma the main issue and the main finding was we found that st uh, pneumo and hip represent 9% of an average in, uh, in W epidemics. So um, the, we, the group decided to change the previous recommendation from one day to a five day standard course <laughs> treatment in adults and seven days in, uh, in children during epidemics. Oiliclarenfenicol was, was an option, was a single dose option and the group decided to uh, not to recommend the use of oily chlorophenicol anymore, mainly for the um, uh, adverse events uh, issues. And then the fourth recommendations on the use of prophylaxis. Um, there was no real change in previous recommendations, mainly because of lack of evidence in Africa that prophylaxis is useful during outbreaks because the, uh, the, what, we, what we see is that the, 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 the prevalence of um, carriage during outbreaks is very high in the population. And uh, during outbreaks, there wouldn't be any difference between inside and outside our households. Uh, so um, prophylaxis was not recommended and is still not recommended during outbreaks. But this is mainly lack of evidence. Recently, and uh, I will talk about this outbreak later, but recently, Epicentre uh, did a study to just uh, on this to, um, 
to study the risk of uh, cases among uh, in households that had previously in households, and they found a very high risk among these households of, of uh, cases uh, secondary in the household. So this means that we, there is a lot, this lack of evidence, but we still need to, uh, to know more, and this will probably or possibly change according to further evidence. But there is a need for more evidence on that. But still, the recommendation is during epidemics not recommended. And so these, uh, these uh, guidelines revision were published um, end of 2014 in the WHO epidemiological record. So there we were happy. Um, no more epidemics, aid disappearing. We have new guidelines. But then we faced another, we faced a new thing, a reemergence of the C0 group. This started in 2013. But this was in a very limited zone in the northwest of Nigeria. This is Nigeria, Niger, Benin, Burkina Faso. And so it started really here in, a, uh, in some LGAs districts of Nigeria. And it expanded subsequently in 2014 to two states of Nigeria. And in 2015, we had a very major outbreaks in uh, Nigeria and Niger. And C, several group, had been really almost forgotten of our memory for Africa, because the last reported epidemics were in the 70s, Burkina Faso and Nigeria, uh, but so more than 30 years ago. So C was not really in our panorama anymore. And this is the, the epidemic of C in Niger this year. And well, look at the numbers. This is the weekly weekly incidence, and here we, we, achieve, we arrive at between 1,500 to 2,000 cases of meningitis a week. So more than 8,000 cases reported in total, 5,000 in Niamey, the capital city. Capital city of, is um, 1 million inhabitants, so you can imagine 5,000 cases in a 1 million inhabitant population, how disruptive and how problematic it can be. Also to, to see that we call it a, a C epidemic, but also uh, we could see that W was there and pneumo, strep pneumo was also isolated. So very huge C uh, epidemic, the, the, I think it's the world's largest epidemic reported ever. Whoops. And I want to, to emphasize this also that the um, out of the 8,000 cases, Niger managed to, to collect CSA from 4,000 of cases, of which uh, uh, 1,400 were positive. From, the labo from a laboratory, laboratory perspective, this is a huge, tremendous effort and achievement. So this is the, 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 the picture of the um, suspected cases in Niger in the last 10 years. And this is the 2015 epidemic. So you see when we compare with previous A epidemics or W uh, at that time, really this uh, C 2015 problem was sharp and high. The attack rate in Niamey was 474 per 100,000. 
country level 46 per 100,000. Of course, you can imagine a lot of challenges. I've highlighted a, a number of them. One of them is the statistics, the case counts. Okay, we know it's underestimated, but also the case fatality rates also was under, underestimated. Uh, when we go and seek in the household and uh, we, we do uh, much more in-depth studies, we realize that the case fatality is probably between 10 and 15, more than the six to seven reported. We estimate that in Niger, probably more than 9,000 cases occurred. And in Nigeria, we won't see the curve, but uh, probably more than 5,000 cases uh, were uh, occurred. Officially, Nigeria reported 2,800 cases, but Médecins Sans Frontières, who was holding, the, the, holding the, the clinics and treating the patients, they reported they have a line of 5,000 5, cases. So, problem of uh, statistics. Laboratory capacity, I mentioned Niger, which was on a very positive side, uh, but Nigeria, out of the official cases, they only confirmed 51 samples. And this was done by Médecins Sans Frontières. They did the rapid test in the country and then they sent the samples to Oslo to the NIPH to, um, for confirmation because the lab capacity in Nigeria was obviously not existent. So main challenge, Nigeria is not only the only country with that challenge, but um, uh, we have many, many things to do there. Vaccine availability. Uh, you may have heard uh, there were some articles in the Lancet or in the New York Times on, okay, why do we have, do we still have uh, not enough vaccines to respond to outbreaks in Africa? Um, so this, uh, the consequence of this, the vaccine availability, we didn't have enough vaccine. Delayed response, in, I, I take one district as an example where the, the campaign started really at the end of the epidemic, so the impact really is not, will not be in 2015. The campaign targeted the uh, two to 15 years old for the polysaccharide, but you can see this is the attack rate by age group that the tranche uh, 15 to 29 was also affected, but there was not even a vaccine, so uh, this, uh, this, uh, this population was not vaccinated. And then a lot of vaccines were brought in and not necessarily uh, adapted to the African context. These were, these were the, the type of vaccines sent to Niger during this year. And you can see different vaccines the, the, from different producers, including for the first time in Africa, a multivalent conjugate um, ACYW is it was the first, it's the first time in Africa that a conjugate multivalent is used during a response. Uh, but the message here is that countries receiving these kind of vaccines, they have to face uh, the organization of campaigns and um, they have to organize campaigns with different uh, formulation, antigens, adverse events, preparation, etc. So um, the, it's really challenging. Vaccine supply is an issue, and here the, the left bar are the vaccines that are requested 
to uh, the ICG, the international group uh, making a vaccine stockpile, and the right bars are uh, what could be sent to the countries. Um, and so you can see that each year uh, we didn't manage to send what was requested by the countries. 2015, we have uh, almost one million gap. 2012 was also a major gap. So the, this new, this uh, serogroup C is, uh, is a new strain. Um, the, 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 the molecular profile was uh, done in, um, in, uh, in Oslo at the NIPH, and it corresponds to a new uh, un unassigned complex, ST10217. So it's a new, uh, new clone that was observed in Niger, Nigeria, and um, in Oslo they could um, compare the strains 2013, 14, 15, and it was the same. Um, and uh, Dominique Cogan uh, compared this, the strain from the, these outbreaks to the other available serogroup C African isolates, and uh, she confirmed that it was a unique, uh, unique clone in red, Nigeria, and in blue, the Niger strains with the various serogroup um, C uh, isolates from other countries. So a new clone emerging in Africa. And we think that the expansion of this new clone is, uh, the risk of expansion is high because it's a unique and distinct from previous di disease strains. There is a low immunity to C expected as we had not seen uh, C outbreaks for a long time. We have seen increasing numbers from 2013, 14, 15. So clearly the expansion is sta has started. And we have seen the pattern of the uh, outbreak in Niger, similar to big uh, surge of similar to A. This would uh, deserve a, a longer debate, but this started in 2013, then 14, 15. At the same time, um, uh, the, at the, the same time as the rollout of the MENE. So is this a coincidence or co consequence of the main introduction. And I will give you here the conclusions of the expert group that uh, reviewed this the, based on the available evidence. Um, that's their conclusion on, is there a link, an association with the, um, the many rollout? So their conclusion is that it's likely, this zero group is likely, C, is due to the national <laughs> natural evolutionary changes in the bacterial population, probably not due to serogroup replacement. The reason for that is that, as we have heard yesterday, that the carriage outside epidemics before the introduction of many was totally not detectable or very low levels. So there was really little opportunity for replacements of the bacterium in its niche. That large and rapid fluctuation in serogroup strain distributions are known to occur in the absence of vaccine interventions. And there is also a timely, timing factor that the MNC emergence in Nigeria, in the Northwest zone that I showed you, um, started before the campaign in that, in that zone. So it's likely not associated with the elimination of MNA epidemics following the introduction of 
the conjugate vaccine. So in conclusions, yes, um, non-A serogroups continue to be a threat in Africa. We have seen an unprecedented MNC epidemic. We fear that this will expand next year. That's why we need more vaccines and we need to maintain a global supply of C-containing vaccine, and this is challenging. Another challenge is the country preparedness, in particular the laboratory component. Um, what we could see is that the guidelines do apply for the MNC, the new guidelines. And um, the good news from Marie-Pierre that the um, development of affordable multivalent conjugate meningococcal vaccine is to be accelerated. Thank you for your attention. One or two questions for Olivier. Uh, Rob Heidemann. Um, do, do you think this novel uh, um, ST has emerged locally in Niger, Nigeria, or has it been imported and then spread outwards? So, um, we don't know. Well, in the comparison of all strains available, um, there was also a comparison with uh, other strains available from the carriage studies, and only one strain uh, looked similar, and it was a strain from in isolated in a carrier um, in Burkina Faso. But that's the only, uh, to my knowledge, only uh, only link uh, possible, but locally in the region. Yes. Um, thank you for your talk. You recommended single-dose keftriaxone in epidemic situations. Is that right? Well, the revised guidelines shifted from one-day course to a five-day course. I thought you said in the slide... It, what, is I think it, you said... Um, I mean, if, if you have a proven N B epidemic, and, and it's limited resources and so on. Right, and if Neseria is uh, confirmed. Yeah. So is, is it proven that one dose is enough? And if so, why not use one dose for all, for all disease? Well, because we have seen that uh, the proportion of non-Neseria uh, meningitis is significant. No, but for proven meningococcal <coughs> disease. Well, all, all I'm asking is one is one dose enough if you have proven meningococcal disease? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So why do we not use that in the UK? <laughs> Could well ask. He's done the trial. Hmm? Many of our antibiotics, there is no, there have never been the trials done to tell you how many days you should give it. You know. Mm. Okay, I think we should we could talk about that at lunchtime. So that, thank you very much, Stevie. <laughs>